This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Jason Mitchell, CEO at Movement Strategy. Jason, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you for coming. All right. Um, six months ago, ChatGPT sounded like yet another high-tech gibberish for people who were in the know. Today, well more than 100 million people around the world use this cutting-edge generative AI tool for everything under the sun. Well, social media is obviously a part of that under the sun. And in this episode, I have Jason to talk about its implications for social media, how people use it, influencers, and what brands need to know about it. But first, uh, Jason, let's kick off. Uh, I was talking about you first. Uh, please tell us about you and your background in marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So I can go all the way back. I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and growing up, I was a big skier. And so naturally, when I looked to where to go to college, I said, let me go to Colorado. And uh, I went to the University of Colorado. And so this was around, I started school in 2004, graduated in 2009, I took a year off and I was studying advertising at the University of Colorado. Go Buffs for anyone listening. And that was the era where social media was just starting. We in high school were on MySpace, uh, thought it was really interesting and cool. Uh, and in college, we were sort of that first cohort of people on Facebook. You had to have a .edu email address. It was uh -huh. the Facebook. And I remember when I was in advertising classes, they were teaching us about print and teaching us about radio and out of home and stuff like that. Meanwhile, everyone in class was on you know, Twitter and dig.com and Reddit and Facebook. And my business partner and I, who was also at the University of Colorado, he's my skiing buddy. And we said, you know, there might be an opportunity here because it seems like the people leading this industry are talking about the past Meanwhile, marketers want to target to people like us. And exactly. the way that we are consuming media is digitally and it's through social media platforms. And so what we did is we started Movement Strategy and we you know, created the domain and a website, which was really bad at the time. Uh, and we basically went door to door to local companies in Boulder, Colorado around you know, 2009, 2010 and said, well, there's a new thing, Facebook, social media. We would love to help you get on these websites. And we were incredibly inexpensive at the time. And so it was a, a it made sense. It was a good value proposition. And that's what we did. And, and we started to grow locally from there. And so my experience with social media and my experience in marketing is really my story of growing this company from a couple of kids in college in 2009 to, you know, what it is today. We're a 150 person agency. And that evolution has been really interesting because social media back then is definitely not what it is today. And so I've had to learn a lot around, you know, how the industry is going to change and, you know, all the different iterations of the different platforms and ways that people utilize social media and first, you know, targeting 
mid Gen Y, then millennials, and now Gen Z, and um, so so there's been that evolution, and then also you know starting out as a twenty two year old with no experience, uh, really quickly I had to manage people and understand how to sell and grow a team, uh, build culture, and so that's also been my journey for the last fifteen years is understanding not just how to do social media marketing incredibly well, but also how to build a successful company. Yeah, that's a journey. When you begin at the landscape, but it's pretty much empty and you just have to have good vision and being able to see down the road better than other folks do, and you can actually gain the territory, uh, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of what's happening right now with Chat GPT as the next frontier, but we will touch on it later. Uh, right now, um, tell me about what is movement strategy today? What do you guys do and how do you stand out the rest? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a full service social media agency. There's about 150 people that work at movement and we work with large companies. So our clients are typically fortune 500 companies, some of the largest companies in the world. And we help them be the absolute best within their category at their social media. So what that means is working with them on their social media strategy. We do a lot of content creation. So we have about a 50 person creative team uh, putting out hundreds and hundreds of pieces of content a week, community managers, content strategists. We do lots of influencer campaigns. That's a big growing piece of our business. We've been buying media directly on the social media platforms for really ever since they opened up those, those um, platforms. And uh, we, of course, work with our clients on reporting and insights and optimization. And so really all of that work is about helping them make sure that they're getting the absolute most that they can through the efforts that they're putting into social media. And in terms of where we really focus, one of the things that is core to what we believe in is this idea of helping companies really establish an online persona. Who are you on social that is interesting, that is going to give people a reason to want to follow you, engage with you? And we go so much deeper than most other companies, agencies, and also just brands. And we have this whole process around what we call building out a brand character. And we've created this whole methodology around what we call a brand verse. And so we go incredibly deep in terms of who are you? How do you show up? And that makes it so that our clients have opportunities to truly grow organically. And another thing that we really believe in is that while paid media is incredibly important and we have a, a great paid media department, the brands that are truly winning on social are the ones that can figure out how do we break through organically? How do we get people to want to engage with us and share our content? And typically that's around being creating this really interesting brand character. And we've won a lot of awards for that at the Shorty Awards a couple of weeks ago. I think we had you know, 15 awards or something like that. And a lot of it is around building out that, that brand character, social voice. So that is what we do really well. And that's more broadly who we are as an agency. So you're helping companies to find the way to click with people on social media. Yeah, that's, exactly. I mean, cool. we, we, um, help companies build really large online communities that ultimately are going to move the needle for them. All right. By now, it's been said a lot about ChatGPT impact on various sectors of the economy. 
but in this episode, I want to focus on these three things. So how influencers, uh, how influence social media platforms, how it changes what people do on those platforms and what brands should know about how to, what to do about it. So let's start with how generative AI changes the landscape of social media platforms itself. Yeah, I think, I mean, one thing that's really interesting and I think is exciting is that the rate of change is unparalleled. And so if anyone can tell you what the future is going to look like in a couple of years, I would be very skeptical of that. Uh, when even the inventors of these platforms, long, large language models, you know, admittedly don't know exactly where it's headed. But, you know, when I look six months, maybe 12 months into the future, I see three distinct things happening. The first is that we are starting to see and we'll continue to see just an explosion of content because content is so easy to produce now. And the thing is, it's not just any content, it's pretty good content. One of the reasons why ChatGPT blew up in the way that it did is because it's pretty good. And the same yeah, things with, you know, the, yeah, the same things with uh, the image generators, uh, they're just getting better and better. And so we're going to see this explosion of pretty good content, you know, coming to all of the social media platforms. And that is going to be boring. You know, right now it's interesting because it's new and it's novel, but when it becomes uh, so uh, prevalent, it's going to, it's going to just feel like noise. And so one of the things that I think we'll start to see is people craving very interesting and weird and different content. We're already starting to see that on TikTok, but people will want to differentiate between the pretty good content being generated by AI and more authentic and interesting content that feels like it's generated by individuals and most likely really is uh, generated by individuals which sort of takes me to the second trend that I see happening, which is I believe that influencers and content creators will only gain importance because when you go onto a social media platform and you see this flood of content and you don't know what is real, quote unquote, generated by humans versus machines, uh, that becomes a little bit dis discomforting. And people want, you know, it's one thing to ask ChatGPT uh, you know, what should I do on a date? It's another thing to uh, uh, see somebody that you follow, that you have a relationship with, that, that knows dating really well, talk about what to do. And so I think that as people crave information from trusted sources, when things online become harder and harder to discern whether it's real or not, um, we're going to see more influence happening by these content creators that are building really authentic audiences. Now, I do think it's important to, to differentiate between influencers who are sort of like meme generators who kind of take memes and repackage them and take kind of famous quotes. I think that will go away because that can all be done really easily through AI. I'm talking about content creators who are creating original content that is interesting, that's creative, that really builds a connection with their audience and through that builds trust. And as people want a source to trust online, it feels like they can't trust so much because they don't know where it came from. That relationship between the really good content creators and their audiences, I believe will only gain in importance. 
And then the third thing that I see is that generative AI is making it so easy to launch applications. And that is only going to continue. I mean, today you don't need to code, be able to code to launch an application, but still hard. But if we fast forward a little bit into the future, it's not unreasonable to think that you'll just be able to type a whole bunch of prompts and generative AI will actually be able to build those apps. So you take that and then you also look at applications now are growing faster than ever before, right? ChatGPT only took two months to reach 100 million people. Before that, TikTok only took nine months and that was insane. You know, and that was faster than Instagram, which only took, you know, 30 months, right? So and the Facebook, rate, in, yeah. exactly. So the rate in which we're seeing uh, applications be able to reach large amounts of people is, is decreasing at the same time, it's becoming easier and easier to create applications. And so I see, I anticipate an influx of new app, social media applications hitting kind of the app store that grow really quickly. And so I think as marketers, we'll need to cycle through it. We'll, we'll, we'll just uh, continue to see that the rate of change, the different uh, applications, platforms that people are using that get really big is going to happen on a more frequent basis. So I think those three things are going to change the landscape quite a lot. Yeah, these are great points, uh, great insights. I think um, we've been talking about the authenticity for influencer. It's uh, like one of the best qualities uh, like for him or her to be successful. And as you're saying, as time goes by, um, um, becomes progressively easier and easier to create something cool and great. But if it's not been created by a human being, uh, it will have less value. Uh, if you can, obviously, if you can spot the difference and you know that this particular thing was not generated by a human being, because at some point, I believe it will be, unless there is a system of tagging, so people can themselves see, like, uh, I don't know, the... Um, that tag on a product that says it's been manufactured by a company has this and this ingredients, this image or video was generated by ChatGPT or other tool, or it was authentically created by that person. Unless we have these tags uh, widespread uh, throughout all platforms, it, the border between the content generated by ChatGPT, non-human being and created by real people will be just blurred and it will be really human brain world as i see it yeah i absolutely agree which is to, to to the point why i think you know people are going to rely on influencers creators people that they follow because mm -hmm. it will be impossible to tell the difference and so right. if it's somebody that you trust and they are telling you a thing you're going to believe them versus if it's just a random video surfaced by an algorithm you're not going to know what it is. Uh, right. And so that's why I, I think that relationship, that trust is only going to be more and more important, which creates a huge opportunity for those content creators to become brands themselves and create product. And we're already starting to see that, which I think is very interesting and exciting. Right. What about the, um, part, the part of the equation that relates to uh, use of social media, very just real, you know, regular human beings in the age of uh, chat DPT and other platforms that generate content. Do you see any difference in how people use social media platforms, any observations, how chat DPT basically influenced this dynamic? 
I'm not sure we're there yet. Uh, I was, you know, I, I've been thinking about social media and the way that it's going to evolve into the future. And one of the things that has been happening over the last handful of years and will only continue is that when we started, people use social media in a specific way and it was different cohorts of people using specific platforms. Today, there's no one way that people use social media, right? My mom uses Facebook and Instagram. She's 70 years old. She uses Facebook and Instagram to connect with her friends and her family. And then you compare that to a 12-year-old on Roblox having a conversation with somebody that they've never actually met in the real world that can turn into a real relationship. Both of those are social media and they're so different. And so I think that one of the things that we'll see is a continued fragmentation where you know most media becomes social in nature. There's less passive watching. TikTok's a great example where TikTok, they don't call themselves a social networking site. They call themselves a kind of a content site. I think that they are social networking in that I think everything will become more and more social where you're watching really interesting videos, but immediately upon watching, you flip open the comments because the comments are as entertaining as the videos and the two exactly. things working together make it so special. And so I think that, as I mentioned, we'll just see a proliferation of more and more different types of social media platforms as it becomes easier to create those. And we'll continue to see massive fragmentation in terms of which social media platforms people are using. And so it will be harder to say, okay, we're going to put a big percentage of our marketing dollars in this one platform where we think we can reach a big percentage of our audience because audiences will continue to get more and more fragmented. The way that they use the platforms will change across different uh, types of groups of people. So I think that will be, I think that is sort of a continuation of how social media continues to permeate through society and culture and through that just fragments. Got you. Uh, now, specifically influencers and creators, um, probably from purely technical standpoint of view, because we've, we've covered the authenticity aspect of their relationships with the, their followership, but how ChatGPT impact their business, uh, what they do, how they launch their campaigns, how they interact with brands, um, any, any tangible, any measurable effect as of right now? For, I, I mean, can I answer this both for brands and influencers? Sure. Because I think that they're similar. Yeah. I, I think that the, uh, I'll, I'll talk about brands more so because, you know, I'm more familiar with how our clients are thinking about this space. And I, I think that one of the things that we're seeing, and it's probably true with, with influencers as well, but, but to a less degree, is that I, I believe that while there's a lot of excitement on the on the consumer side, on the corporate side, there's a lot of fear around what is happening. And there's a lot of fear around both just how it will change people's jobs. People, you know, change can be scary, but, but also just around uh, IP and the legal the legalities around using things generated by AI. And so one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of paralysis across big corporations that understand that this is coming, but don't want to jump in because they're scared of any sort of legal ramifications. And so I think that that is creating 
issues. And you think about influencers and content creators, they're probably not having that same thing. And so they are quickly able to create and utilize all of these different tools and be successful and grow. And then brands and everyone else has to play catch up. Meanwhile, these content creators are becoming brands themselves and launching very successful businesses, then actually competing with the brands themselves that were once, you know, paying them dollars to, to um, promote their products. You see that with, you know, uh, some, of the, some of the biggest brands right now are, are um, started by influencers and celebrities. So I think that we're, we're starting to see that. And, and because of that, I think it's incredibly important that brands and marketing departments stop being scared. They start getting involved. They start experimenting. I think that the legal risks for brands are a little bit overblown and it's sort of obvious what you can and can't do and things will be litigated over the coming months but brands that really are paralyzed by you know fear are not going to be figuring out how to use these technologies how to integrate tools how to be on the cutting edge and they're going to play catch up and i think that's a a really vulnerable position for them to be in um, and so one of the things that we're doing is lots of workshops and trainings and demos and everything else so that the companies that we work with really are trying things out so that they can be on uh, the, the cutting edge of what's happening. Great point, Jason. Uh, I can see them looking at their legal department and asking, can we, should we, is it ready? What about the next month when, uh, you know, uh, finally, we'll be making decision on, um, you know, all those cases where generative AI actually using content producing by somebody else who, and that that content is copyrighted. So, what are we what are we doing when that content leads to something new? Are we should we still apply the same rules for the original content to generate it as a new one? or just like any human being using other material to create something unique, nobody's going to be suing him if he's creating something new. So which part of this equation should we stick to? So I, I can see their fears, but I don't think it's that scary as they believe at this point. Um, I know there are, there are scare parts about um, generative AI, all those calls to the banks for people who are basically sampling somebody's voices and pretending to be somebody else to steal money or any other theft. That's the real danger. But I don't see that particular fear which you're describing be a real on a brand side, right? Yeah, I I don't see it as well. I, I don't think the liability is on the brand side. I mean, maybe on the platform side, like the you know, the, the companies that are actually creating these large language models or, you know, image generators with training data, uh, but not necessarily on the people actually using it. I think an, another thing that I think is interesting that brands and, and marketing departments, marketers need to be thinking about is one of the great things about AI and, and where it's at today and where it's getting to is it is making it a lot easier to do sort of the rote tasks where we spend a lot of our time. If we think about how we spend our days, most of our time is not doing really deep strategy thinking or incredibly creative brainstorm. Most of our days are doing fairly menial tasks just to kind of move things along. And if you can start to take some of those things away from the people on your team 
because you're integrating AI. And then you open up your team to spend more time doing the things that are actually going to make a difference. That's when you can start to differentiate the work that you're doing from everyone else because you're spending more time on strategy. You're spending more time really thinking about what's going to be creative or innovative instead of just doing those, those kind of boring, uh, mandatory things that don't take a lot of deep thinking. And so for companies that can start to integrate AI into their system, because you know companies have the same amount of resources, right? Different, same size businesses competing have similar amounts of resources and it's about you know resource allocation. That sort of uh, who wins is who's allocating their resources the best way and towards the best ideas. If you can change the equation where you are not spending time doing all of that manual stuff and instead doing the deep thinking and your competitors haven't made that shift yet, you're going to win. And so I see that also as a huge opportunity. And while a lot of people are nervous about AI, I think the opportunity is for people that embrace AI and they understand how to work with it, they will then likely have a more enjoyable job because they can move away from doing a lot of the boring parts of the job and focus on things that are you know, really exciting, deep thinking, driving results. Exactly to your point, Jason. I've just heard this uh, funny, uh, witty phrase on the Kara Swisher podcast. You shouldn't be worried about generative AI. You should be worried about people who are using generative AI because these are your real competitors. Okay. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, for us, one of the things that we're racing towards is you know we're not thinking about AI as a way to replace our workforce. What we're thinking about is how do we upskill our workforce as quickly as possible so they are more effective than our competitors? And that is how I think we'll win. Great. Um, Jason, being in digital marketing space for a while, what would you really like to change the most at this point? I would love to see marketers and especially the type of marketers that we work with, which are big brand marketers, take more risks, be more creative, ultimately be less scared. I, I think, and, and not just less scared, but think bigger. I think that two things have happened over the last 10 years, maybe, uh, that have pushed us into a place where I don't think as an industry, we are being nearly as creative uh, and taking nearly as many risks as I think that we should. The brands that do really see the benefit of that, but that they are they are the minority by far. I think that there's two things that have happened. One is the job of a CMO has become so challenging because you need to understand so many different domains. And as such, the tenure of CMOs has really shortened. And so you're not put in necessarily a position to take lots of big risks. You know, you're just trying to manage so many different teams and, and, uh, different types of platforms and initiatives and marketing channels, you know, that's kind of where your, your head is at beyond, okay, how do we take some really big risks? How do we get incredibly creative? So that's one side of it. And then another thing is we've really seen of lower level marketing, direct response type stuff dominate. And that's really because with digital and social, really the, the only way we can do any sort of attribution 
uh, with a, a degree of certainty is through you know last click attribution, last click um, modeling, and and that then puts this big focus on you know direct response, bottom of the funnel, where it's really about well, what happens if I change the font or change the colors? These small things to try to shave sense off of a CPC. And so if you look at those two things together, I think that a lot of the marketing that I see on social and digital in general, it's not creative, it's not big thinking, it's these little optimizations to try to kind of shave off sense here and there. And what I would love to see and what we push our clients on the work that we try to do is, you know, much bigger level thinking. It's let's think about how do we truly connect with this audience? Uh, not how do we increase the CPC a tiny bit or the click-through rate a tiny bit, but like how do we get more people to actually care about us and want to be involved in what we're doing and join our community and be our tribe with us? And that create that that requires taking risks and doing very creative work. And I just don't see so many people talking about that. Um, and that is what I would love to see change in the industry and we're already starting to see a little bit of it i think we're starting to see some big brands move away from from such a focus on the lower funnel up towards the top of the funnel and with that you see more risk taking more creativity and i would like to see more and more companies adopt that uh, and i think through that they'll, they'll just see much better results gotcha jason Okay, uh, we're finishing up the first part of the show, switching to the second one where I get a chance to ask a quick questions uh, to every guest on the show. So people who are listening to us have a better chance to know who are the people who are coming um, on air with me uh, to spend these 30, 40 minutes. All right, uh, question number one, uh, what smartphone do you have now? Uh, have you been switching between these two big giants or just being with one of those all the time? I've had an iPhone only exclusively for, I don't know, the last almost since iPhone one came out. Years? Just yes, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we use, we basically use a Mac everything and it's just such a great integrated system. So yeah, that is, I I'm very loyal. Uh, I might be having to buy a headset, you know, before too, too long, but uh, I don't know. We'll see uh, how, how people respond to that. Too early. Yeah. Too early. Just a few days. Uh, let's wait a little bit. Uh, what was your first mobile phone uh, back then? Like what was your starting yeah. phone you can put in your pocket? Yeah, I, it was a Nokia. Uh, if you remember, it's like a phone that everyone had. We loved to play snake. That was like the game. Yeah, uh, and then uh, and then my first smartphone was a BlackBerry. I was so excited in college to have a BlackBerry and BBM Messenger. Uh, oh, the keyboard yeah. and the phone. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Uh, now uh, back to present. So imagine you've left your iPhone for whatever reason at home. You're out. Uh, what will be your most missing feature at that point? Google Maps. I would just be constantly lost. If you are old enough to remember printing out, I mean, I guess I was, you know, there was a generation of people that understood how to read maps and they had maps mm -hmm. in their car, my parents. That was not me. We went to mapquest.com, typed out, you know, printed out directions to get somewhere. 
God forbid you took a wrong turn and then you are just so screwed. So I don't have a great sense of direction. Google Maps would uh, be really bad for me not to have my pocket all the time. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, uh, new tech on your phone. If you're looking at your phone and go like, wouldn't be great if that thing could do this or that, uh, hardware, software, or both. Um, not necessarily something you hear in the news as a trendy thing, but just for you. Hmm. Well, this isn't my phone, but the, the technology that I've been waiting for for the last six years, thinking that it was going to be here, is self-driving. I hate driving my car because I think it's so dangerous and I'm getting older, I guess. And I, keep, I bought a Tesla with full self-driving like five years ago and was so convinced my young kids will never need to learn how to drive. And every year that feels like it's farther and farther away. So that is, it's not on my phone, but that's the technology that I'm the most excited about that I want personally. And it feels like we're not moving fast enough in that direction. So not really uh, the answer to your question, but that's where my head is at. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I do hear you, Jason. I'm sorry to say we're, we're not, we're not there yet. Not even close. As far as we can try, um, I've just listened to great series of interviews with people who are in the uh, you know cutting edge of uh, self driving, and even Waymo cannot claim that guys uh, next months we all will be able to drive self driving cars and five the highest level of autonomy. Um, no, it it's gonna take more than we expected, unfortunately. We, we which is a bummer. I admit it. Yeah. But um, I, I will say to answer your question, and, and mm -hmm. this is, I think so many people are talking about this. I'm so, we've been promised personal assistance on our phone for a long time. And Siri is just not it. And Alexa is not it. But it feels like something built on top of OpenAI or another model like that will be it. And you will just be able to say to your phone, I'm hungry. I feel like Mexican tell me where to go. And it will just tell you exactly where to go or order you the food. And I am really excited about that. I, I had a meeting the other day with somebody who's building out a, a, a chat uh, program for airlines. And, and he was showing it to me and it was basically just like, I want to go to Colorado and just instantly showed the best flights and, and a really great interface. So I'm really excited for that to happen because I think it would just make life that much easier. Absolutely. Siri meets ChatGPT. Watch on your screen tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. All right, Jason, before I let you go, very, very final question. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Yeah, I think the, the best way is our website, movementstrategy.com. And so I'd say check that out. There's ways to get in touch there. And then also, I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn. So you can find me, Jason Mitchell, Movement Strategy on LinkedIn and would love to connect there and, and have some conversations. Jason, thank you so much for spending this time with us and being on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. Thanks for having me. And that was Jason Mitchell, CEO at Movement Strategy. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business OFs and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe, and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please, don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes.
it is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.